0: Thank you. the total soccer show and our latest americans abroad check-in here we go today we're looking at christian pulisic's arrival in milan tyler adams arrival in slightly less glamorous bournemouth Sergio des dutch foray and much 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 more my name is ryan bailey joining me today you know him i know him taylor rockwell hello hello i'm excited to be here me too
1: How's it going? When I think people who desperately want to talk about Americans for over an hour or around an hour, it's Ryan Bailey. I know it's your favorite topic. Why do you think that? Why do you think I don't like Americans? I love America. I think it's... You're right. I should clarify. It's not that you don't love America. It's not that you don't like Americans. It's that I think the detail uh, with which Joe and I will discuss Americans and then Graham will as well, I think is maybe at times concerning for you. I feel like you're sort of like, guys, there are other things out there we could be talking about. There are other things maybe more important than like, does Tyler Adams function better as a six or a hybrid eight? Like, what should we do with like, I don't know if that ever is Ryan's full bailiwick. Absolutely not. There is nothing
0: more important right now to discuss (laughs) whether he functions as a six or an eight, Taylor. which we'll get to that very shortly. (laughs) Joining us to do so, Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. It's a six. There we yeah, go. I course. think we can tie a bow on that one. <laughs> um, so I'm ready to tackle a new topic. Ryan, what's next, right. buddy? Check that one. We get to the next thing just after we introduce Graham Rutherford. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? I am marvelous. How are you, sir?
2: Yeah, fine. I mean, I'm just recovering from the embarrassment of going to my first circuit training in a long, long time Uh today and having to hide in the toilet afterwards because I legitimately thought I was going to spew. And to make it worse, the class at that time on a Wednesday morning, about like half nine in the morning, is full of like middle aged to elderly, mainly women who were all absolute machines and handled it absolutely no problem. So, yeah, a, a low point in my recent existence.
0: <laughs> so, Graham, you're a CrossFit bro. It's all right. You can share here. We're all friends. Is that I'm right? I'm
2: most certainly not a CrossFit bro. I went to <laughs> I went to CrossFit once a long, long time ago, and the man genuinely told me, there's something wrong with your hamstrings. What is wrong with your hamstrings? And I never went back. What, what was wrong with them? Did you find out? They don't bend. They don't <laughs> Doing doing the deadlifts was impossible. My legs don't bend. In the circuit training, there was like flexibility things that I had to like sit out of because my body just doesn't bend in those directions. Have you you considered stretching? Yeah. Are you a plastic action figure? Like, do we need to stretch you out? Should we Should we heat you up to see if you can bend? What's going on? So my daughter has lots of uh, plastic action figures. They are more flexible, genuinely, than, than I am. I've seen Ken do moves that I could never even dream of.
0: Wow, wow. I mean, I suggest change your diagram, but we already know it's perfect, so I don't know what else to suggest. Uh, let's hope there's no hamstring issues with any of the players that we're going to discuss over this here podcast. There will be. The- oh boy. <laughs> but before we get there, patreon.com slash show for all our bonus content, uh, including Graham's forthcoming uh, CrossFit... Um, Compilation? should we call it? Is that what it's going to be, Graham? That is is
2: not coming to the Patreon anytime (laughs) soon. One thing that is on the Patreon, though, is your golden shoey, And Ryan Bailey, I've never been prouder. Number one, straight out of the shoe, not out of a cup. Looking at you, Joe. All right, all right, move along. Number two... (laughs) It's the shoe that you're wearing. You pull it off your foot and then pour the beer straight into it. By the way, a Guinness. And I think Taylor has some thoughts on a Guinness being the the beer of choice for a shoeie. Number three, you're wearing a football shirt. So three big ticks, Ryan Bailey. Very proud.
0: Um, Thanks very much. Kids, don't do shoeies, by the way. It's a silly thing we are doing, listener, if you're not aware. Uh, (laughs) And if you don't know what a shoeie is, look it up. It's Australian. It's when you celebrate by drinking a drink from your shoe. And I've got to say... I think Guinness is the correct drink, Taylor. It's it's nice viscosity. It's not carbonated. So, you know, it comes out of a shoe, a treat.
2: (laughs) It's a whole meal, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole meal. It also feels like you're drinking sort of like... Flat like sewer water at that point. Yeah. I, it, it does not. It, it does not appeal to me. But I'm glad, Ryan. For you, it was the beverage of choice, uh, and I think it was. It was a a well done accomplishment. Even though you went Guinness with white shoe, which is yeah,
3: yeah that in was itself, a bold choice. was how, how gone, Ryan. Has it come yeah. out of the wash yet? Because you said it went straight <laughs> in afterwards.
0: Where we went straight in. The shoes are fine. Thank you for asking. Good. <laughs> <and Joe. laughs> wow. The, yeah. the Guinness connoisseurs will be displeased that I didn't let the Guinness settle for like a full 118 seconds or whatever it has to be. Yeah. Before. But you're to Not drink. as displeased
2: yeah. as they are with Taylor, though, who just called Ireland's national drink Czech <laughs> sewer <notes>. water, flat <laughs> sewage water. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be
0: delighted about that.
1: Yeah, no, Guinness is good. Guinness is one of those things that, like, yeah, every time I is. drink a Guinness, I'm like, I, I should have more Guinness, and then I and then I don't. But I think when you're around people who drink it regularly. I get the appeal of it more, and it is a nice one to sip on. I just don't think of it as one that I'm like, yeah, let me down this, like, flat hamburger of a drink. Uh, but it is it is also, I think, calorically the best beer for you, so there is that. Mm. It's, it's even better for you
0: out of a shoe, I can yeah, attest that. Of course, I've heard that, I've heard yeah, that, I've heard when that a lot well. of it <laughs> spills on your shirt. Anyway, let's I- get...
1: I know we have stuff to get to. I was just going to say, Graham, if you need video, like a video idea for this week or next week, I would love for your CrossFit compilation to just be a compilation of you standing outside of various CrossFit gyms shaking your head. And that's it. (laughs) That's all it is. It's just you outside disagreeing with CrossFit's premise.
2: Or maybe me and just various yoga posies eating pies. Just. Uh, it's
0: going to be a, a compilation of shaking his head outside CrossFit gyms and then nodding as he's outside Popeye's NC. <laughs> there Perfect. we go. All right, look out for that on Patreon, guys. Why don't we start off talking about Mr. Pulisic? He's made a rather good move to Milan, if I don't say so myself. A 2-0 win over Bologna. The Rossoneri had this past weekend. He scored a beauty. Set the other one up as Well, Um, Joe, this one makes sense for all parties involved.
3: I think so. I mean, this deal was a a relatively modest fee. It's hard to know what the salary is. I would assume it's relatively high, but Milan didn't have to break the bank, at least on the transfer fee, $22 million move from Chelsea to Milan, according to reports. Polisic needed a new home, right? Milan needed another quality attacker as well, opposite of Rafael Leal. So in that way, it is totally a win-win. Now, Milan also added Samuel Chukweze from Villarreal, who's a winger and I think is a very, very good player as well, who will push Polisic for minutes. And it is not impossible that at some point this year, there will be some swapping back and forth for that starting job. But I think in general, Polisic starts off really, really well in this season and makes an excellent claim to continue in that role on the right wing in what was essentially a 4-3-3. It wasn't a 4-2-3-1 or a back three that we came to expect from Pioli last year with Milan. This was a straight-up 4-3-3 with the 6 2 two eights ahead of him. And Polišic looked right at home on that right side. Leao wasn't at his best on the left wing in this, this win over Bologna, but Polišic absolutely was. Scores a banger in the 21st minute, is involved in the first goal as well, getting the ball in the box for Reyners to, to head across. So I think he heads it across for Giroud for that finish in the 11th minute. Pulisic looked direct, he looked quick, he looked incisive. I really like him on that right side. We don't see him there with the national team, but I like him on that right side mm. because it encourages him to play more quickly, right? He's not always tempted to come inside on that right foot and take four extra touches and drive into the midfield. On the right side, his, his dominant foot is pointing him towards the end line rather than you know diagonally into the middle of the field. So he's much more direct and I think purposeful on that right side at times. And that was the version of Pulisic we saw in the opener of Serie A for Milan. He was really, really sharp. That's an interesting point, Joe. I hadn't totally
2: considered that because I, to- I I agree on Pulisic when he is making quick decisions. And I think that's the most encouraging thing about the goal that he scores in this game, which is an absolute banger, by the way. That will be one of the goals of the season in Serie A. It could be one of the best goals scored by any American in, in any European league this season and it's and it's not just the shot, at, which is obviously a laser from the from uh, outside the box into the far corner, which is good enough in its own right, but it's also the way that he he picks it up on the halfway line, he then jinks in between two opponents, he plays the give and go with Giroud. and then when he takes the shot, there are three players around him. And the most encouraging thing is the clarity that everything is done with. Because at Chelsea, as you say there, Joe, and even for the US, a lot of the time of the last two years, Pulisic, it's it's like He doesn't know what he wants to do with the ball when he gets it. There's lots of touches. He turns back on himself. The play gets slowed down. Whereas this was very, very sharp. There was so much intent in every decision. And that's obviously the Christian Pulisic we saw at at, at Dortmund. And if Milan can get that player, then what a difference that makes. But I have been, I mentioned this before, I've yet to be sold on Christian Pulisic on the right side. I think that's largely because I haven't seen him play a lot on that wing. When I think of games for Chelsea or the US, I think I've missed maybe the handful of games he has played on the right side but I hadn't quite considered how his strength of which is as a strong foot would contribute to how he plays and maybe it could be won over maybe if he's sharper and quicker on the right side then that's his long term position um, I am
1: equally positive uh, as you two the only thing I would add I think I saw some rustiness in him. Uh, He obviously has very good moments, but I also saw him try to force passes and kind of hit them to no one. He has one or two that he passes straight out of bounds while trying to play it down the line. And in most of those sequences, he gets sometimes a friendly, sometimes a cheering up, and sometimes a stern talking to from Olivier Giroud. And I thought that was a really positive sign. Obviously, the goal comes from that dribble Graham mentioned and then the ball into Giroux and the little uh, like outside of the f- uh, foot layoff and then the shot. So there is some relationship already developing, but I think he is already sort of getting individual instruction on the managerial side, but then also building rapport with teammates. I think it will make him a sharper, more incisive player. Joe used that word earlier, and that's the word I would agree with. We need him to be more incisive. Watching him play against a Bologna team that were very much bunkered at times in this game and him sometimes trying to do ballistic things and dribble four people, but sometimes also just playing simple crosses, simple passes. I think that variety is something that's been lacking. So I was really heartened by what I saw, not just from his on-field performance, but by the relationship he seems to be developing with Giroud, which is sometimes a demanding relationship. Uh, he definitely looks frustrated a couple times, but I am good with that if it means that they continue
2: to kind of build that rapport, build that relationship, build that mm. connection. I'm we not all even dream sure. of a relationship with Giroud. Sorry, Joe. We all dream <laughs> of that relationship. I also dream of what was that he got? A Stern talking off. Oh,
3: that's what a dreamboat. I'd take one of those. <laughs> Tell me, folly Tell me. I'm going to leave that one there. Polisic and Giroud already have a relationship. I want to I wanna just kind of reiterate mm-hmm. that. They they played together at Chelsea, as did Polisic with Ro- Loftus Chic, who was playing as the right sided number eight in this game, and Tomori in the back for Kaio Tomori. Like, there's a number of different players that Polisic already knows and has played with. Specifically at Chelsea in this team and and to dial in on Giroud he and Pulisic are like buddies like mm-hmm. I, they're Pulisic and Giroud are Maybe the tightest relationship on this team or certainly Drew is Pulisic's tightest relationship I'm not sure if it goes the other way But like you see them doing all these different social <laughs> hits together and like they celebrate Burn. together They know each other and seem to be pals I'm not entirely sure how that happened other than just hanging out in London somewhere but I think you could see that bleed over onto the field. Yeah, there's moments of frustration. That's, that's how it goes in a 90-minute game. But, I mean, the combination play between those two players and the understanding that they have of each other's movements tie in Loftus-Cheek in, into that conversation as well. And I think we're seeing already Pulisic hit the ground running, yes, with some rust, Taylor, that's a fair point, but hit the ground running maybe even faster yeah. than I thought he would because of Giroud's presence in that front line.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important clarification. Uh, And just to add more to it, I I think, like, what was heartening to me is that I think if it were maybe two players who weren't as familiar with each other I think we might have seen either more just like overt frustration or we might have seen nothing at all and just sort of like oh well whatever Uh, even the first goal I think Giroud expects the ball into the box and Pulisic goes for the cross I'm not sure he's actually aiming where it ends up but uh, it ends in the back of the net so whatever but Giroud shows that frustration and then he scores and I'm guessing some of that frustration goes but it's that sort of like Like, they have the rapport so he can be like demanding. He can be like, hey man, calm down. It's got to be into this. Like, I I don't think that could exist if they weren't already on positive terms. And the best example of that to me, uh, I love watching celebrations for what they tell us about players. And Pulisic's goal celebration. I'm sure it's the sort of like how ridiculous the hit was that brings everybody over. But the whole team is over. He seems to have a few different like handshakes and individual celebrations with teammates. It felt like a very positive vibe going on with that team, which is not something he d- he had at Chelsea, certainly not last season. So that alone, the, the celebrations after that goal made me even more excited for this move.
0: Mm, he told his teammates before that he wouldn't put any cheese on fish. He wouldn't have a coffee of a certain size. He, yes, he, he laid the ground so rules G- out. Yeah,
2: I hear Sergio Sergino as well. Yeah, he told them all those
0: things. <laughs> it was all laid out. All right. Uh,
2: Graham just won. Note, Graham just won this whole
0: episode. Oh he did. We need to take a break on that and sort of uh, let that one uh, ferment a little bit. We'll be back very shortly with much more, including one of uh, Pulisic's new teammates back
1: shortly. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between, but no matter what...
0: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our Americans Abroad check-in. Yunus Musa also joining Christian Pulisic in Milan, suspended for the season opener. Um, Taylor, what do we make of her? England's Yunus Musa, $20 million, a five-year contract.
1: Mm-mm. Uh, I hated that introduction,
0: yeah, it but I love Yunus It didn't Eunice seem Moussa. like he was England's
3: Yunus Musa <laughs> yeah. when he was bossing England at the World Cup. I didn't Oof. get that impression at all. Get That's him, Joe. Really weird. Get him. Was he and bossing Ra- England at the World Cup? Mm, kind of. He was indeed. Anyway, uh, Eunice Musa, I love
1: this move. Uh, I, I think, I love this move Not just because it's Milan, a big team, historically a big team, uh, hopefully this season a big team, but also because it's not Valencia. And that is a big thing. They've had so much uncertainty. They've had so many different managers. He's played so many different positions and roles and had to adjust to new styles and new tactics. I love the idea of him going to Milan. And I feel like getting developmental minutes is what I think it's going to be for him this season. I don't think he's going to be a regular starter, at least not right away. I think he is probably going to be a squad player and a role player at that. I watched him in their preseason friendly I believe it was against Nevada and he seemed to be playing centrally but then also sometimes out on the right uh, and I think we'll see him used in different positions at, as a depth option as a substitute but also as players get injured and then I think we'll see him my hope would be we see him round into a like reliable, consistent player in one spot, either as a starter or as a sub, based on fixture congestion. But I like this move because I think, I hope at least, it will give him the opportunity to develop in a more stable environment, which is saying something about Milan. Uh, but I think also just with more consistency, they've spent well this summer. I think they had a really good window. I think they've done a lot of really smart business, both incoming and outgoing. And I think it puts him in a much stronger position to develop. And I think that's the case for a lot of people we're going to talk about. I think Multiple players have made moves to situations where they can develop the abilities they already have, not just rely on those abilities, not just sit on the bench. And I think this is another move where even if Musa is on the bench, I think he still becomes a more complete, well-rounded player yeah. at the end.
3: Yeah, and I think there is a path to playing time. But Taylor, not, not that you're not saying that, but I agree with you. He's not going to come in and be an obvious starter. Now, he didn't play at all in this game against Bologna because... He picked up a red card in Valencia's last game of the La Liga season. And I didn't know this, but those red cards do transfer over. So he missed this game. He wasn't on the bench at all. He's not in the squad, but he will be back in this team and he will fight for minutes. You know, it's going to be a fight, though. That's the key part. So in this game against Bologna for Milan, it was Kunic as the number six, and that's with Benesare, who played a lot in a double pivot last year out with an injury. So Kunic played as the six. There's another option there, certainly, when Benesare gets back. And then it was Reyners and Ruben Loftus Cheek as the two number eights. And it's going to be. Difficult for Musa to wrestle minutes away from those players, but it's not going to be impossible because number one, Musa is a very good player, and Milan spent money on him and will want to bring him along. They're going to find minutes for him. He he warrants that as well. And the other thing is, there's just a lot of games coming from Milan this year. They're going to have Champions League. They're going to have Coppa Italia. They're going to have Serie A. There's got a lot of minutes to go around here, and Musa again is good enough to force his way into that rotation, even if it might take a few games of ten minutes here, fifteen minutes there if things go wrong and we're not seeing Yunus Musa at all then we'll start to have a different conversation but on paper Milan does seem like a much more stable environment than Valencia it's a higher level in terms of the the games that they're going to be getting in the Champions League that's a good thing for Musa and it just feels like everything's kind of coming together for Musa over the summer he plays as a 6 with Tyler Adams out in the Nations League and looks really really good and could conceivably pick up some spot minutes at the 6 in this new 4-3-3 shape for Milan or he could play minutes at either of the number eight spots. There's really three options in central midfield. He can pick a spot anywhere on that depth chart and force his way into the team. Again, it's going to probably take some time, but we'll start seeing cameos from Musa. and I would wager that before too long, that turns into semi-regular starts as well.
2: Wonderful stuff. Graham, anything to add on Musa? No, I I echo um, the thoughts of, of Taylor and Joe. I like this move. I like that. I think this is what Taylor is getting at because he is going to be maybe a rotational option. He he is going to have to play as a six and an eight in in other games he is going to round, in theory, should round out his game a little bit more. The other thing to keep in mind about Yunus Musa is he's only 20 years old. Like he has played... He's been on our radar for, what, three three seasons as a first-team figure in a, in a top European league? So we can sometimes get ahead of ourselves in thinking he's further forward in his development. If he's a rotational player and he's getting minutes in cup games and coming off the bench and starting maybe you know five to ten league games in a season for AC Milan this year... That's okay, as long as we get the sense that his game is starting to round out a little bit.
1: Yeah, and with him being only being 20 in mind,
2: Ruben loftus cheek aside,
1: he's 27. Uh, Milan's acquisitions that I tracked were 24, 24, 20, 23, and 22. So they went very young in this window, or relatively young in this window, but many of those transfers were playing this weekend, and so I think it's a sign that Milan are, are trying to get younger, but they're also bringing in players that I think, for the amount they've spent, which isn't that much, relatively speaking, I think they're getting players that can start but can also continue to develop and probably with a few of them then be sold on for more money down the road. I think Moose is probably one of those players. I also think there's a chance that he'll get minutes – out on the wings and like as an impact player more as a defensive impact player later in games if Milan are trying to see out like a 1-0 or a 2-0 I could see him coming in but being more responsible for tracking back and defending as the opposition pushes on to try to get an equalizer or try to get a goal and my final thing about Milan before we move on would just be that Joe mentioned him already but uh it is who's the the youngster Tiani Reinders I believe is yeah. his name from the Netherlands he's 25 years old he, he started this weekend I only mentioned him just because I I, I would prefer if we could pronounce that as reindeers i would like them to have a reindeer on the team and and that's what i'm going with for now so tiani reindeers uh starting and looking good
0: you can pronounce it how you like darling that's up to you thank you don't thank worry you. about i that. appreciate that all right northern italy chock full of american talent at the moment let's turn our attention to timothy weir at juventus joining weston McKennie there of course uh joe what do we make of this uh what do we make of juventus this season uh are, are they going to be a key contender and do we see weir as a big part of that
3: I don't know, is the short answer. <laughs> I don't think Juve are going to be a key contender, but the talent is is there. I would personally go with the two Milan teams as being the most likely to finish in the top two, and Juve and Napoli and Roma kind of filling in in those three spots behind them. But again, the, the quality is there for Juventus, and I like this move for them and for Tim Wea. Wea moving from Lille to Juventus for $13 million, as a basically like-for-like replacement for Juan Cuadrado, who then bounced over to Inter to be a backup option for them. In staying in Italy, Wea starts this first game of the season for Juve, it's a 3-0 win over Udinese, starts at right wing back, which is exactly where we thought he would start, because that's exactly where Juan Cuadrado played, it was a a 3-5-2 shape from Max Allegri, Now Wea comes off at halftime with an apparent injury that didn't seem too serious, it's a little hard to say at this point, but not much has come out about that, which I take as as a positive sign for Wea and his immediate future. But in the first half, I thought Weah was was pretty good. Tracks back, he's a great tackle in the 23rd minute, showing some of his defensive willingness, which is not a surprise for those that have watched him much in the past. He looks really comfortable in the final third, likes to combine, wants to play a little bit, and I think that will really help you. They generate some good sequences inside the opposition's defensive block. He's a really nice cutback in first half stoppage time after getting to the end line or near the end line. Lots of good things while there still is room to grow defensively, especially 1v1. And in space. Weyat started playing some as a fullback and a wingback for Leo last year. He'd done it in bits and pieces, I believe, the year before. But it's not his regular spot. He's still learning how to do that job. And Juve aren't often, even under Allegri, compared to you know, lower table teams in Serie A, they're not often forced to defend in a super deep block or defend 1v1 in space. But it, it does happen, right? It does happen. And It doesn't look totally comfortable in that role, but in general, you can see that he's done this job before. You can see that it's a better option for him, in my view at least, than it is for him to be on the wing because he doesn't score goals. Like He doesn't score goals. He doesn't really create a ton of super dangerous goal-scoring chances for himself in the final third. He's got 10 goals, 10 league goals, I should say, in his entire professional career. It's only 5,000 minutes because he's been injured a lot and, and been a backup in different situations, but it's not a good goal-scoring record, and what he does well is combine, move off the ball, run into the depth and, and serve balls into the box, and he can do all of those things, I think in a more impactful way as a wing back. So I'm super bullish on this move and looking forward to seeing a lot more of Waya yeah. on that right side for Allegri.
2: There is quite a bit of talk about Timothy Weah in Italy right now. Now, some of that is down to the fact that he's the, I believe, the only new signing that Juventus have have made this this season. Um, So they needed to talk about something over the summer. And and, and Taylor, you're furrowing your brown. Am I I forgetting someone else that they've signed? No, because I know what you mean, because like like Moise is
1: like made permanent, right? And then Locatelli is made permanent. Yeah, yeah. is Arcadius Milik was he there and now he's being made he permanent was, as well he
2: signed in he signed in January Um, so okay. yeah Locatelli is Locatelli is certainly a first team figure for Juventus I guess you could argue he is a new signing Moise Kane they seem to be they seem to have signed him one moment and now they're trying to ship him back out again I see him linked with all kinds of clubs but in terms of a new face that Juventus fans haven't seen before I think Timothy Weah is the only new addition
1: yeah the furrow brow was more so just being confused by everything Juve this season honestly it's it's the, the list of incoming we mentioned. A lot of the departures uh, I, I had to check the table because I couldn't remember where they actually ended up finishing because they were in the top four, then docked points, then the points docking was removed, but then reinstated, and, and they ended up ineligible for Europe. The one and yes, then, exactly. Yeah. exactly. So it, it's a confusing situation, Graham. Uh, your explanation was not confusing, don't worry.
2: Yeah, so there has been there has been a bit of talk about where, um, and the fact that the Clearly, Allegri coming into the summer, I'm sure he would have liked more signings, but the priority was a replacement for Juan Cuadrado or for Philip Kostic as well. So they were the two wingbacks last season. And honestly, I just think those two, two players had gotten too old to, to play those positions. I know Kostic was a relatively new signing but I think he's 31, 32 years old he was a good player for Frankfurt, it felt like he hit his, his ceiling. So just having, watching Weah in the first half of the the game against, uh, who was against? Udinese at the weekend, which by the way, that was the good half for Juventus, I think they're 3-0 up at half time, so that's, that's a good sign there just seemed to be a lot more verve and mobility about Timothy Ware and I agree with Joe he is going to get tested in a defensive sense and my impression of Allegri actually is he generally likes his wing backs to defend a little bit more than is customary I'm not saying it's a it's a block of five but if you think of how Kostic and certainly Quadrado would play for Juventus they they were you see wing backs sometimes and they're just they're just forwards but in this Juventus team they, they do tend to sit back a little bit So that is maybe something that will be a little bit unusual for Timothy Ware. But I like this signing. I think he's going to be a key player for them. And assuming that that injury is not a serious one, I think he's got a big season ahead of him. Um, Well, Juventus kind of have
0: a new signing in Western McKinney coming back. Of course, uh, we all remember that sad train journey he took out of Leeds at the end of last season. Um, Graham, is is he uh, staying in Turin, do we think? What's the situation there? (laughs)
2: So of all the players that we've discussed and are going to discuss today, I think Weston McKennie is the one I struggle to get a read on the most. To give you the truthful answer, I, I honestly don't know what his season is 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 going to look like. He did come on for Juventus against Udinese. And he actually comes on to replace Timothy Weah. So he's not completely out of the picture, which I thought was a possibility heading into this season. I feared he might be just frozen out entirely. Um, but then, when he comes on for Juventus, he plays as I mentioned. He comes on for Timothy West, so he, he's playing at right wing back, and I, and I guess he played right side of a midfield four last season, or at least the first half of last season for Juventus. So, positionally, if you were to plot that on the pitch, there is quite a bit of overlap. But in terms of what Allegri wants from that player in that position. I, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, Joe and Taylor disagree. Maybe I've not seen him in that position before. But I, I just don't know if McKenny has that skill set to offer the same things as, as, as kind of Timothy Ware. There might be rotational game time in the midfield three. I don't know if Allegri sees him as a central midfielder. Going back to last season and the season before, when he was playing on uh, in a kind of wider position in that midfield four, he he didn't really play in the centre. Much and the other confusing thing about Weston McKennie is there's n- there's not a lot of speculation around him either. There's been a couple mm-hmm. of tentative links to the Bundesliga, but that felt that was about a month or two ago. Weirdly, I, I found a, an article that linked him to Newcastle a month ago. I don't think there's anything much in that. My prediction is he probably will still get a move. That's just a hunch rather than any inside information, but it could be a deadline day loan or something like that. Because I'm ju- I'm just struggling to see a place for him. And Juventus. Keep in mind that Juventus have got guys. Well, they've got Paul Pogba to come back into the into the picture as well. Do so, they? Ha-ha. Yeah, I don't... Wow. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in theory, they do. Yeah. It's an abstract concept, Paul Pogba. <laughs> this at this moment in time. But yeah, I I, I honestly don't really know what McKenny's season looks like. Yeah. I think partially that that, uh, Newcastle link is
1: just because somebody saw him wearing black and white stripes for Juve and just thought like, yeah, sure. It's either Nottingham Forest or Newcastle, one or the other. I think this is going to be a fascinating season for Weston McKinney because to my mind, he has, until last year, mostly just had success. Even when Schalke are struggling, he becomes a key player for them. He becomes a, a leader figure for them and then obviously does the same for the U.S. men's national team and is such a a leader on the pitch, but also a vibes leader. He's very much the good energy sort of guy. He gets the move to Juve and has has plenty of success there and, and becomes a pretty celebrated figure. And, and the move to Leeds, my assumption is that that was just meant to be Leeds will stay up, we'll make that permanent, we'll make a bunch of money off of him, and on we go. And when that doesn't go that way, and then he returns to Juve, I think they were not planning to have him back. I don't think Allegri really had him as part of his plans. And so now in comes this player who is sort of unclear where he fits in if he fits in at all but also as I said like he's a very big personality and I mean that in a positive way not in a like coded negative way and so to have him back at Juve I'm I'm assuming it helps the locker room but it's also a strange thing to have a guy like him not be like in and around that first team as much and so I think it does likely end in a move for him either this summer or maybe more likely in January as like once they are more established and they know who's going to fit and who's going to deputize, if he's not one of those starters, if he's not a substitute, then I feel like that's when they'll try to move him on either uh, for a short term loan with an option to buy or selling him outright, depending on how things go. But I, I have a hard time seeing him playing himself back into the starting eleven for Juve this year,
3: Ryan. Because I want to make you happy, uh, and I- I'm going to make a prediction about he's moving Wisconsin to Wimbledon. I, yeah, moving to Wimbledon. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I, I am predicting that Weston McKenney will play at least fifteen hundred league minutes, regardless of where he ends up, and that includes staying at Juventus. McKenney does this thing where, like, regardless of what's happening in his life, whatever is happening with a club, he still finds a way to get on the field. I mean, guys, he played forty-five minutes on on the right side of defense in this game. I agree that you know maybe this is not what Juventus had planned for Weston McKenney, and maybe they didn't expect to have him back and maybe he does end up moving, but even if he stays, I think he is still going to find a way, whether he's falling backwards into it, tripping over it, or, or actually running towards it, find a way to be a, a relatively integral part of this team. Even last year, before he goes on loan to Leeds, he played like a 1,000 league minutes for Juve in, in in that season. He played, what, you know, 1,300 minutes the year before. I think we're gonna see Weston McKenney still find a way to have a key role for this team. I'll be pretty surprised if he doesn't hit 1,500 league minutes for either them or another impressive club if he decides to move.
2: It's like the uh, the meme of, of Mo throw, throwing, is it Barney or Homer yeah. out of the pub, Barney, out of the bar, think, yeah. and then turning round and he's behind them again. That's Wes McKenna at Juventus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Joe, the, the same chills I got down my spine when I saw the England team coming out the tunnel at the World Cup final. I get those when you make predictions on TSS. So thank you.
3: Oh, I feel good. You're welcome. Good. You're welcome. Uh, that, that feeling was not uh, followed up by anything joyful, though, was it? We'll see. Time will
0: tell. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Ooh, we you. Let's talk about Tyler Adams. He's gone to Bournemouth, everybody. Um, Graham, what do we make of this one? Is that a good move for Tyler <laughs> Adams? It's not. He's he's avoided uh, landing in the dumpster fire in Southwest London. He could yeah. have landed in potentially, but uh, what do we think about this
2: fit? What I will say about Adams' move to Bournemouth is there, there's a plan for him at Bournemouth, right? So we c- we can talk about. The stature of the club, Bournemouth are one of the smallest clubs in the Premier League. Normally, I would say the and, smallest until club until in the Premier Until they signed Le- him. Until they signed <laughs> him. <laughs> exactly. Now, they're the biggest club in the, in, in the Premier Correct. League. Correct. Uh, certainly bigger than Luton, who are the only team that I would maybe put in, in, in terms of size below Bournemouth. But anyway it seems like maybe he's signed up for another fight against relegation so that that's the that's the downside from this move but as i say there is, there is it seems like there's a plan it seems like uh, Antonio Arriola wants him so looking at bournemouth's team against Liverpool at the weekend, Ryan Christie played as one half of a double pivot in in that game. Now, Ryan Christie is a player that I know well. I've watched him for years. He's a very versatile player, can play in a number of different positions. I, however, have never seen him in a double pivot, and that doesn't seem like a good use of his skill set. So yes, I think there is a place for Tyler Adams in this team. I think he will start pretty much every match for Bournemouth this season, assuming he can stay fit, which obviously was an issue for him at, at, at Leeds. I also like the fact he's going to play for Areola. Um, so Areola's Ryle team last season were a team that I watched a fair bit of. They grossly overachieved in, in the Liga. And he, and he does set up his teams in a specific way that I think will carry over to Bournemouth. So he wants them to attack through the flanks. He wants overlapping overlapping fullbacks. In terms of the midfield, he does want a good degree of control, so maybe a little bit more of the ball than Tyler Adams is is, is seen at his last few clubs at Leeds and and, and Leipzig. Um, it is a double pivot with another more advanced midfielder ahead of them, which in Bournemouth's case will be Philip Billing most likely, and then a winger will often come inside to create a box, that's something we saw at, at Rio and it, there were signs of it, even though we're only two games into the season, it's something that Bournemouth have been doing as well, um, they counter-press, they try and win the ball high up, which I think Adam's energy should be a good fit for and it's probably one of the reasons he's, he's come in. I I talk, I spoke about the control that Areola likes his teams to have. I expect that Bournemouth will try and play out from the back and they will have a, a good ch- chunk of the ball. Um, so that's maybe an area where we will see some, hopefully some progression for Adams. But they also have this option to go long and attack the space, which I, I like about Areola's team. So I think there is a foundation there. The TLDR is there's a foundation there with Areola's Bournemouth, that I think should suit Adams, but kind of similar to Eunice Musa at AC Milan, there are some other areas where I think he will have to improve, and hopefully that leads to a more rounded player. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think
1: Adams being there. Biggest or their largest signing of the summer tells me that, yeah, he's going to play a lot of minutes. I really am increasingly excited about Andoni uh, Iriola, who, lest we forget, is a manager that they were tracking last year. He refused. He didn't want to leave basically in the middle of the season when they realized they could get him. That's when they sack Gary O'Neill and they bring him in. He's a Bielsa disciple. Everything I read about him in his first training sessions was that he was really, really hell-bent on getting that team playing the exact way he wanted, really intense training sessions, getting people on the same page. I think we've seen the growing pains so far to start this season, and I do think it's going to be another season of relatively close shaves for Bournemouth. But I I think overall, this move, to me is pretty exciting. I I was not excited to see Tyler Adams going to Chelsea. It would have been cool to see another uh, American at another big club, but I feel like we would have had to resign ourselves to a lot of uh, match reports that were Tyler Adams on the bench but did not play. Tyler Adams gets five minutes for Chelsea. Tyler Adams not in the squad for Chelsea. I, I don't think he would have been a central player. He would have been a player that they could have utilized in certain situations, but A team under Mauricio Pochettino that are trying to develop their identity, develop their style, develop certain players in certain areas. I just think Adams would have been surplus to requirement or would have fallen by the wayside. Whereas with Bournemouth, I think he will be a a, a key player, a chief player. I think he fits with what Iriola wants to do and has experience doing it with Leipzig, doing it with Leeds. Uh, Hopefully, he does it more successfully with Bournemouth, and Bournemouth are more successful than Leeds were last year. But I, I like this move for a lot of reasons, even if it feels like a lateral slash downward move a little bit for Adams
3: okay uh, Joe lateral move I think it's a fair assessment right it's absolutely another lateral move I mean and I don't think that's a problem either I also don't think I have much more to add on this Graham and Taylor summed it up really really well I'm looking forward to hopefully watching Tyler Adams play a lot of soccer in the Premier League and hopefully him not get relegated
0: alright Joe uh, is there anything to add about Gio Reyner and his situation in yeah. Dortmund at the moment what are we uh, <sighs> what's going on
3: he hurt. He still hurt is probably the more accurate way to put it. He suffered a calf injury in the CONCACAF Nations League final against Canada back in June and is still not fit to play. He missed Dortmund's opener of the Bundesliga season. We don't really know how close he is. I would assume he's not like months away still, but Gio Reyna still not fit. And that feels like it's been the biggest theme of his career, even bigger. So he's had no preseason then, Gio I, as far as I'm aware, I mean maybe he's doing some light rehabbing stuff. Yikes. I don't know. Yeah, Taylor's shaking his head. No, yeah, he, he's he's he not been available to play. And that's that's been Reyna's thing, right? He's only played more than 625 minutes in a single league season once in Oof. his four professional league seasons. So it's it's not good. It's not good for Reyna. He cannot get healthy, which is a shame because transfer-wise, with Jude Bellingham leaving, there's a room for another kind of attack-oriented, aggressively-minded midfielder. And Reyna was still playing, even when Bellingham was in the team, but it opened up a role for someone to come in and really snag that idea of being the the central figure for Dortmund. And there's lots of other players that are capable of doing that as well. It's not as if Reyna is far and away Dortmund's best player or anywhere close to that, really, but he's a ridiculously talented kid that just cannot seem to stay on the field. And it looks like we're in for another year of that being the discussion around Gio I
1: I hope so. The the thing that I am equally confused by. Joe summed up the situation really well. The only other thing is, uh, in in reading about him, I forgot that there were reports that he was transfer listed by Dortmund in June, which is right around the time that the Nations League is happening when he looks excellent for the United States. And it feels like if he doesn't pick up that injury then, this could have been a summer that he does make a move, maybe for not as much money as we would have expected, (laughs) but it's greener pastures, it's a new start, it's a new opportunity for him. If those reports are true, who knows? I think he was likely the the reporting I saw was around 20 million euros is what they were asking for him. So if that's true, that they were willing to move him on and then he picks up the injury and so fewer people are interested or they're they're not able to get that price, it, it leads me to feel very confused about what the situation will be for him at Dortmund. If they're trying to move on, if Terzic is trying mm. to bet in new players – I don't know where he fits in, and with the lack of a preseason, I think that's going to hurt things. As Joe said, though, he is so gifted as a player, so good on the ball, and I think has very good vision uh, in terms of in-game management, in-game vision, that he could come right back in, get a few training sessions and get minutes and look as sharp as ever. We could also see him play even fewer minutes than we've seen him play in the past. It's It's a I have no idea what to expect from him this season sort of situation for me.
2: Yeah, Beald were were running with a story about two months ago that Gladbach wanted him on loan. Now, I don't know if that was just Joe Scally willing those rumours into (laughs) existence so he can play with his best mate, but it says something that Reina's status at, at Dortmund, as you say, Taylor, that... I read a report that he might be offloaded or sent out on loan, and that didn't seem ridiculous to me. And that's a shame because a couple of seasons ago, it really felt like he was going to be the next, you know, 60 million euro Dortmund player that goes to a big Premier League club. And it feels like we're a long way away from that at this moment in time. Joe, just going back to the makeup of the midfield and, and, and the squad, I was you mentioned Jude Bellingham leaving and I was hopeful that that would provide a bit more of an opportunity but when I looked at this at this Dortmund squad and the signings that they've made this summer I'm not sure. I wish it was the case, but I'm not sure it will actually be the case. They The two big signings that Dortmund have brought yeah. in this summer have been, um, is it Mietje and, and Marcel Sabitzer. Now, Marcel Sabitzer is a player that I'm not really sure what type of player Sabitzer is anymore. He seemed to be a very different player at Manchester United on loan in the second half of last season to the one that we saw at Leipzig. So maybe he will play in a, in a deeper role. But nonetheless, if you consider they've replaced Bellingham with those two central midfielders, and then he's still kind of up against the same attacking players for game time, like Marco Royce is still there, Daniel Malin, Julian Brandt, Torgan Hazard, adiemi they're all still part of the squad. So even though Bellingham has left, and as I said, hope that would change the situation, I'm not convinced when you put all the pieces in place that it actually has.
0: Oh, dear. Paul Ruthven hamstrings, affecting not just <laughs> members of this podcast. Yeah, don't
2: take mine. You know we were selling off Joe's <laughs> hamstrings during the
0: World Cup. He doesn't want mine. Indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Matt Turner and his Premier League adventures. We're going to talk about PSV, America's new team. Watch
1: out, Wrexham. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham and Joe. Just kidding.
0: Total Soccer Show, we are Americans abroading, everybody. Matt Turner is at Nottingham Forest. First choice between the sticks, Taylor. Played both games in the Prem so far. What do we think?
1: Uh, I-, I think Joe is incredibly happy. I will cede most of my time to Joe, other than to say <laughs> that if you need a cheap... Depth option for your fantasy Premier League team. Matt Turner only costs four million, so you can get him if you need to, uh, to spend somebody else where you wow. don't actually have to play him if you don't want to, but you can get him in there, uh, and he'll save your budget and then you get to have an American in your team.
0: That's really good for a, a potential first choice keeper as well. To have that level. That's good fantasy
1: tipping. Well done. Yes, except that he plays for Nottingham Forest.
0: And that's <laughs> the
3: thing. That's exactly where I was about to lead us. I don't know how scoring works in fantasy. I'm not playing this year. I forgot about it three games into last year. Mm-hmm. I wish Filling you all it. the best of luck. But uh, I don't think goalkeepers get a lot of love for conceding goals. And Matt Turner has already conceded some goals, but they've been absolute bangers, right? And that's kind of what you get as Nottingham Forest goalkeeper. You're going to concede some goals, conceded two to Arsenal and a loss to open the Premier League season, and one to Sheffield United in a win in, in uh, match day two of the Premier League season. So it's been a fine start to the year for Nottingham Forest. And despite conceding those goals, and this is where the nuance between FPL and, and sort of real life comes into play, despite conceding those goals, Turner has been good. Like, the goals that he've scored that he's conceded, excuse me, have been really, really difficult ones to get to. And he's made some huge saves already for Nottingham Forest. There will be lots of attacks coming his way this season. I'm not sure if if Forest are really in the thick of the relegation battle. It's a bit too early to say for sure. But regardless, they're going to be at a talent deficit in a lot of ways against a lot of teams in the Premier League. So we can expect a lot of shots coming at Matt Turner and I'm excited for that. Like we'll get a chance to see a full season of Matt Turner starting in the Premier League, which obviously we did not get for him last year in his first season in England. I don't think he played a second for Arsenal in the Premier League. He got a few cup games along the way, but this is his chance. And, and it's a chance for the U S as well to have a goalkeeper starting at the highest possible level. It's been a while since that's been the case. It felt like we kind of waddled through the U S waddled through a lot of the last cycle with goalkeepers, either in major league soccer or on the bench, Zach Steffen with Manchester City, so to have Turner playing week in and week out for a team at the highest possible level I think is a a good thing for him. It's going to be fun for us as we get to watch what kind of saves he pulls out and I think it's going to be be a good thing for the US as well. He is going to have to pull off a lot of saves. Strangely, actually, Forrest have conceded
2: the third fewest shots on target in the first two games of the season after Arsenal and Man City, which is is bizarre and doesn't line up with what I know to be true. And I'm sure that will uh, that will even out over the course of the season, particularly with the quality of defenders in front of Matt Turner. That is the thing that gives me concern. So Forrest started a back three against Sheffield United last week. And two of those three players were Scott McKenna and Joe Worrell. And it's staggering to me that Forrest have signed roughly 300 players in the last 12 months, and they're still playing those two in the Premier League. Joe Worrell was one of the worst defenders I've ever seen in the Scottish Premiership. And Scott McKenna's fine, but man, he is he is pretty limited. So yeah, that 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 concerns me. The one thing, the one saving grace for Matt Turner is I think the approach that Forrest have kind of um, settled on under under Steve Cooper in the Premier League might make up for that lack of quality in defence um, where they are just fully a counter-attacking team. Now, they tried to do some possession stuff last season and then they just kind of leaned into letting Brennan Johnson and Gibbs White and now Anthony Alanga cook on the counter. So if the lines between the defence and the midfield are, are tight enough, then in theory, Turner should benefit from that and the number of bodies around the box and the number of shots that he will face. But yeah, it feels like if Nottingham Forest are going to have a good season, meaning they stay up again, I think that's the aim for them again this season, then Matt Turner's going to have a a good campaign one of the worst defenders in the Scottish Premiership that is a damning indictment if I've ever yeah. heard one of a professional yeah, soccer player and one of, one of the Scottish Premiership teams Ross County took a Wimbledon defender like well, two weeks yeah. ago
0: Well, Nottingham who might uh, be a contender for that title Graham we shall see as our time <laughs> moves on uh, listener join us on a trip to Eindhoven now for America's team PSV who now welcomes Eugenio Dest to their ranks he's on loan with an option to buy uh, joining of course Malik Tillman who's on loan from Bayern and Ricardo Pepe Graham, fun? Lots of Americans in Eindhoven, yay? Yeah, good?
2: Yeah, it it, it is quite fun. I'll start with the most positive one, or the player I'm most positive about, and that's, that's Sergino Dest, who I don't know PSV's team... That well. I did watch you them against You already him earlier. You can't come back from it now.
1: <laughs> like, you can't say did, nice
2: things now. I did duncan Sergino Des, <laughs> but I am on the record on this show as, as, as being a fan of Sergino Des. Now, I, I wanted him freed from the, the Camp Nou dungeon. So I'm pleased to see him playing first team football again this season. He signs uh, either over the weekend or on Monday for PSV. He goes straight into that team in a Champions League playoff qualifier against Rangers last night. He started at left back. For PSV last night. And and my impression is that that is where he's going to play for this PSV team. Um, So in the PSV squad, you have uh, uh, Jordan Teze at right back. He is pretty much nailed down in that position. He's 23. He's a full Netherlands international. PSV like him a lot. On the left of the defence last season, it was Patrick Van Aanholt, who will be 33 next week. So happy birthday for when it comes, Patrick. I know he's a big listener. But yeah, he's 33 years old and he's injured right now as well. So looking at it right now, that's surely where Dest is is going to play most of his games this season. Obviously, Dest has played there before. um, And there was some nice play between him and Noah Lang on the left wing against Rangers. So that's, that's a relationship that could be good for him. It's not a completely perfect move, though, because ideally, I suppose you would want him on the right of the defence where he plays for most commonly anyway for, for the U S the other two players. I'll talk a little bit about Malik Tillman cause he's the one that I, I know the most, the most of, and then I'll pass the mic for Ricardo Pepe. But with, with Tillman, I'm not entirely sure if, if he's going to be a first team starter for PSV this season. So Des will start most games, even if it's at, um, at left back. It's pretty telling he went straight into that PSV team for last night. Tillman's on the bench last night against Rangers. Doesn't come off the bench, despite the narrative of him being the one who knocked out PSV in the Champions League for Rangers last season. And so me as a neutral wanted him to knock out Rangers for PSV this season so we could do a complete flip but when I look at the PSV attack there will be some rotation obviously because they're in Europe the number of competitions that they're in but they've got Johan Bakayoko who plays the right side he's a very promising 20 year old uh, Belgian international then it's Vertessen on the other side who uh, again is a very promising Belgian youth international and then Isaac Babadi plays centrally and he's he's maybe the one you'd think Tillman has a chance of, of, of dislodging but I don't think he's going into that team to be a star, as was the case at Rangers last season. That is that is the difference. And you could argue maybe it's a, you know, a step up. I guess it maybe depends if PSV make it into the Champions League. Of course, Rangers were in the Champions League group stages last season, which is actually where Malik Tillman looked kind of most out of his depth. So certainly progression to be made there. Um so he's got he's got a crowd to make his way through to get into the first team. I do think it will be a big season for him because if he doesn't make an impression on loan at PSV this season, then at the end of the season, it it feels like he's maybe going to have to fall back again to get first-team football at a lower level.
3: Yeah, I think we're still a bit away from seeing Malik Tillman really burst out at this level. It seems like path to playing time is not the easiest one for him. And I still just don't totally see it in his game. He's good at a lot of things, but still has a lot of work to do, both with, with the ball at his feet and off the ball. So I don't think Tillman's close to the finished product, and that's gonna make finding minutes difficult. Not impossible. He's a good young player with lots of chances to improve between now and the end of the year. But I I, I would not be surprised to continue seeing him, you know, either pop in and off the bench or or kind of end up on the bench for different periods of the season. And the same kind of goes for Ricardo Pepe, moving from Augsburg to PSV for a reported $10 million fee. There's not an obvious path to starting minutes. Okay, actually I take that back. The obvious path is Luke de Jong getting injured. But but Pepe is. Number two on the striker depth chart for a team that plays with one striker. And that makes it a little difficult for a 20-year-old that we're kind of waiting on to have a real breakout year. He has, I think, 12 goals last year in the area divisi for Groningen, which was a good but not great season for him in a league that is notorious for being difficult on opposing defenders as they get blitzed by attackers, right? So I guess the hope for Pepe this season and my hope for him is that there's some stability, right? A couple of years ago, moving from Dallas to Augsburg, that went terribly. Uh, then he moves from Augsburg to Groningen, as I mentioned, and and there's a loan there, and he's just not in the same place for an entire season because he, I believe already started that Bundesliga season with Augsburg, and now he's with PSV, but there's some veteran national team player ahead of him in that depth chart. Not that I think Luke de Jong is this all-conquering center forward, but Pepe's gonna have to fight for that spot, and maybe that's not the worst thing, and maybe he will win that battle, Soon rather than later, I'm just not super optimistic that we're going to see start after start for Pepe, which, to be honest, I think is kind of what he needs as a player that also has a lot of need and a lot of room still to de- to define and really refine his game.
0: Taylor, you pumped for America's new team. Um, Rex, I'm going to have to take a back seat now. Is that yeah, what you're I, thinking? I
1: am. I am, especially because I think sort of it's the same situation for all three of these players, that like they all have to prove themselves for different reasons and with different expectations but I think all of them have a point to prove in a league where I think they're capable of doing it and with somebody like Pepe I I fully agree with everything Joe said but I also think about him as a player who I mean I watched play here in Richmond with North Dallas when he was 16 then he makes the FC Dallas team and has a lot of success then he gets that huge move and it's always sort of felt like he was like this anointed figure of he's made this movie scored these goals he's made this movie scored these goals now he's getting this even bigger move and then things kind of come off the rails he doesn't go to the World Cup and, and it feels like now we're in this situation where he has an opportunity to go and fight and earn a spot and and show why he belongs in that team and, and I think with a more settled situation I think he'll be able to do that that's my hope but I think the same goes for Tillman that he he to Graham's point has a point to prove and will need to do so and Strugis. You know Dest certainly does as well and i think PSV have Some familiarity with Dest, I would say. More familiarity having seen Pepe last season. And my hope would be that in signing him, they saw things in him last season and in their scouting that made them think this is a guy that can be a difference maker, that we can invest some time in, that we can develop and can be a key contributor for us. Maybe uh, can uh, make us some money down the road. But I feel like each of them is in a really similar but unique position at PSV. So uh, it makes me really excited to watch the Dutch League this year.
0: Marvellous stuff. Excited you should be, Tater. We've been Americans in actioning for about an hour now. We are out of time. We've got a few more players to talk about. We haven't spoken about Brendan Aronson yet. We haven't spoken about Foller and Balogun and what's going on with that guy. Graham, we haven't even spoken about a player who's played at Plough Lane this season already. Had you right? We've got plenty more to talk about. We should do that. On our Patreon feed Because we have to Hang it up here So for now Taylor Rockwell Thank you very much For joining us on this Intrepid adventure I did enjoy it very much Me too Thank you my friend Graham Ruthen Pleasure as always sir Thank you Ryan Bailey Joe Larry, Keep on trucking You too Ryan And listener Thank you very much For joining us on this one We'll be back on the feed Very shortly But for now Bye, bye.